0: Welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers, where Weaver professionals talk about business and accounting. We'll explore a wide variety of topics from tax law and accounting standard changes to managing cyber, fraud, financial, and operational risks. What do these issues mean to your business? Join us as we go beyond the numbers to find out. Hey gang, welcome to the Weaver Real Estate Podcast with Howard and Rob, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the real estate industry and industry trends. I'm Rob, as always, I'm joined by my partner, Howard. We're both partners with Weaver and Tidwell, the leading real estate accounting firm in Texas. Reminder that the content you're listening to is for informational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute tax or accounting advice. You like what you hear though? Of course you do. You wanna learn more? Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. We release new episodes every week. Check us both out on LinkedIn and on every social media platform. And head over to Weaver.com to download show notes and white papers with our content. Brought to you exclusively by Weaver and Tidwell. That's Weaver.com. All right, Howard, buddy, let's jump right into it strong here. We both are hearing those anecdotal stories that there is going to be a excess of office space as we emerge from the pandemic cocoon. If there are fewer office leases, there will be an excess of office space. An easy fix to providing multifamily housing in an urban setting is a conversion of office space to residential. In major cities, that might be the only play available for that asset class.
1: At least here in Dallas, the conversions that have occurred are of older office buildings or Mm -hmm. older hotels into apartments or condos. I just don't feel like conversion is, no matter what you're dealing with, is easy. I think if you build an office building, you're still going to be better off being able to use it as an office building yeah. than try and turn it into a, a condo or an apartment building. But, you know, to answer your bigger question about offices, I'm, have, I am and have always been a firm proponent that the office is not dead. Yes, there will be some reductions from people working from home. Um, we've heard of a number of companies that have sold their headquarters and said, you know, we don't need it. I think REI was one of them. I can't think of the others right off my top of my head, but I know they're there. Yeah. But at the same time, we're gonna need more space when, per person when we go back to the office. But as I said before, I think, There's been so much business creation due to the disruption that that's going to drive a need for office space in in the future.
0: Question no one knows the answer to is how long does it take for commerce made possible by that disruption to catch up to the vacancies and can office building owners afford to wait? I think that another driving factor is that we as a people tend to have short-term memories. In two to three years, we'll have forgotten all about the pandemic and we'll inevitably return to our pattern of densely packed office spaces.
1: I was at a meeting the other day where they were the speaker was talking about sublease space. We're talking the Dallas Fort Worth area. Sublease space is about doubled in the last year in terms of the available sublease space. Okay. So what I think is happening is that a lot of companies they're they're doing fine. They're making money. They're paying the rent for space that they're not using, but they also are looking for a way to get that space off their books. So I do think that one headwind that's going to have to be dealt with with respect to office space before we start to see any growth there is going to be able to absorb a lot of that sublease space that's being offered up. I'm sure you read, but last week it was Amazon announced that they were going to spend $2 billion, and that's where they be, on affordable housing or workforce housing. What I wasn't able to gather from the article was whether that was going to be dedicated more towards Amazon workers or it was going to be benefiting the community that they're in. But the expectation 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 is it's they're starting in some of the areas, Seattle being one, I think DC being one, I think think it was Charlotte or Nashville, maybe where they have a big presence and they recognize that their big presence with a lot of high paid workers has driven up prices to where it's becoming problematic for the community as a whole. So people have, people say what they want about Amazon, but I think that's really good of them to be able to do that. And I just hope that 1 amazon can contribute more than 2 billion over time and 2 that other companies will will do something similar
0: the whole issue of workforce housing whether it be affordable or not i think is going to take another forward leap here in 2021 we're seeing more instances of single family residential rental communities so, you know, you take what would typically be, let's say, a 500 or 1,000 home development, and you typically think of those as being single-family homes. Let's say they're 2,000 to 2,500 square feet. You have a young, younger family or folks who don't want to deal with the maintenance. They don't want to deal with the upkeep. They still want to live in a home. They're trending away from perhaps condos and dense multifamily. They want their space, but to get their space, they have to be in a situation they otherwise don't want to be in. So I think you're starting, going to start to see a rise in the workforce housing side of these single-family
1: rental communities. That's going to be really interesting because there is definitely the push for the single-family rental. That's a huge positive in the market. And there's even been a, lot, a number of developments that have gone up that 500 houses all sold to a you know lessor as Mm -hmm. opposed to selling to 500 different people. It's very interesting. And I think the trends will continue there. I think you're walking a little bit of a tightrope, though, when you start to deal with that from affordable housing or workforce housing, Mm -hmm. because the fact that the fundamentals on the housing are still, you know, what they are in terms of land costs, in terms of building costs, in terms Mm -hmm. of how, you know, big of a house in terms of what you can build. You know, I live in a community where if you try and propose anything less than a two acre lot, everybody gets all up and up. You can't build affordable <laughs> housing on two acre lots. You yeah. got to have some level of density within the neighborhood. Maybe it's quarter acre lots, or maybe it's, you know, third acre lots. But the, the point is, is you, you are definitely running a tightrope being able to make that work economically. And I think there's probably one of those things where there's going to be some developers who are developers and home builders who will probably evolve to be able to manage that in terms of the entitlement process, in terms of uh, coming up with the right mix of size of lots, size of houses, and being able to to make that work.
0: Agreed. Ultimately, it has to be profitable or nobody's going to do it. Let's switch gears and talk about retail for a minute. What does the tenant mix of tomorrow look like? And I don't think there's not a right and wrong answer here. I want you to go first.
1: The tenant mix is smaller than what it currently is. I was on another webcast yesterday and the speaker mentioned that we have so much retail per person in the US that ultimately it's not going to come back to the extent that everything that's up is going to stay up. So you're going to see a lot of stuff demolished or turned into alternative uses of some sort. I think it's still going to be going towards the experiential retail and going towards the services. You don't need a store where you can buy everything online. Or if you do, it's just more of like a buy online pickup pick up curbside. I think, you know, restaurants, people are going to be itching to get out and eat. I think restaurants will be hot for quite some time. Obviously, you're always your dry cleaners, your nail salons, thinking suburban retail here, obviously, Mm -hmm. things like that. I think what you might find is maybe some storefront work from home type places. I think you're also going to maybe see an influx of places where tutoring companies are up. I think people are recognizing that the kids are getting the worst of all of this in terms of schools being closed and having to go online virtually. I think there's going to be a lot of parents who are going to want to have their kids get some extra help. And I'm hopeful that on the one hand, you've got a lot of parents who can afford to do that and who will. But I'm also hoping that there's going to be some groups and organizations that are going to make things like that available, like Boys and Girls Club and things like that Mm -hmm. for children whose parents don't have the ability to have the extra tutoring. But I think you'll see places like that where you're going to see kids can go after school and get some extra tutoring. Think of larger assets like movie theaters. Movie theaters will probably still continue, maybe on a smaller scale. I haven't been to one that's laid out like this, but I know there's some movie theaters
0: that have, you know, kind of private box type things. Mm-hmm. I think that will will continue. We have, Let's say you have retail that is demolished, whatever the case is going to be, what rises up in its place?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think it's going to, maybe it's a different type of retail. Maybe instead of a strip center, you have a gas station or a, a car service place. Maybe it becomes, again, maybe an after-school place for kids yeah. to go to. Could be churches uh, or potentially just additional housing. Yeah. A lot of this retail is on great location corners. I mean, why couldn't you take a strip center and build a four-story wrap apartment there? Bingo. Or a small office building. I mean, Bingo. I think there could be some good opportunities for that, pending, of course, re
0: So this is in Plano. Okay, Plano City Council approved, just within the last week, a developer that was developing the Collin Creek mm-hmm. Urban Mixed Use facility. JCPenney was supposed to be an anchor tenant. JCPenney obviously pulled out. Instead, we're going to drop in 98 townhomes, Mm -hmm. which is going to be uh, a combination of sustained living, things Mm -hmm. like that. I don't think there's necessarily going to be a right answer But where we can, again, I think where you can shoehorn in more good housing into what is otherwise really accessible site, that's where the play is going to be.
1: But again, I think the key is going to be, in those cases, going to be a matter of working with the cities. Absolutely. Um, Because, you know, I think about where the town that I live in, a strip center is desirable, a even nice apartment complex isn't. So it would be, there'd be a lot of nimbyism to have to deal with to make something like that work. And again, it goes back to having developers that are really good at being, able to navigate those challenges to to be able to do that
0: work. Let's call it a wrap there. You're listening to the Weaver Real Estate Podcast. The most important part of our program is you, the listeners, and we thank you all for listening. Please, please, please help the show grow, like share and recommend us to your friends in the industry or anyone that wants to stay current on real estate industry trends. You can find us both on LinkedIn or at Weaver.com. This program is brought to you exclusively by Weaver and Tidwell. That's Weaver.com. Go to Weaver.com to download show notes and white papers with all of our exclusive content. That's Weaver.com.